0: Welcome to Lost Anchorage, where CRUDE investigates the mechanisms of crime and violence in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. Through research and interviews with professionals, law enforcement, and those affected by crime, I hope to build a better understanding of whether or not Anchorage is, in fact, becoming more dangerous. By the end of this series, I hope to create a portrait of crime in our city, For better or for worse?
1: My name is Aaron Roberts, and I was an Anchorage police officer for 20 years, a little over 20 years. Um, While I served in that capacity, I was on patrol, and my patrol time was spent mainly in the downtown area, a little bit Muldoon, but mostly downtown. Um, I was also a detective in robbery assault, vice, and metro, which was narcotics. I finished out um, in warrants and which is not as cool as it sounds, um, the last part. Yeah, and also I was a uh, negotiator. Um, I was on the negotiation team, which works hand in hand with SWAT, and um, I was team lead for that at the time that I retired, as well as a training officer for them. Um, And I taught uh, defensive tactics in the academy.
0: All right, so you are, you're definitely a good person to talk to about this stuff then. (laughs) Thanks. So, you were an officer and a detective in the Anchorage Police Department. What was your daily routine like, maybe as an officer, compared to a detective? <clears throat> so, as an officer, I
1: primarily worked um, downtown in, in Fairview. Um, one of the reasons I liked it is because it was it's one of the more densely populated areas in Anchorage. Always a lot of things going on. And a lot of the calls didn't require a lot of paperwork, like, I mean, just to be real. Um, and and can you explain what that means? By paperwork, you know, someone, it's once been said that police work is like, you go to where there's chaos, you stop the chaos, and then you write a story about it. Depending on the level of chaos, you have to write a bigger story. And all that is, what I mean by story is, the documentation that you need to, to take it to the next level, either prosecution or or, or whatever uh the The type of situations and crimes in the downtown area um required less less documentation or simpler documentation than maybe in other places. Could you give
0: me an example of a um a situation that would entail less documentation um okay so um if you're
1: dealing with a a, a shoplifter or um or even an, an assault, a physical assault or um, uh, a problem where, where you're dealing with somebody that's drunk, uh, that's going to require less documentation than maybe a domestic violence incident or um, uh, a fraud dealing with uh, financial crimes or, or things like that. Because it's more cut and dry? Uh, pretty much, yeah. It's more cut and dry. Um, you know, person A attacked person B, and you're getting the information and— in, going forward like that.
0: And so those were the kind of cases that you generally dealt with? Um, downtown,
1: uh, yeah, those were more the cases. Um, downtown's an interesting situation. You've got, you know, the, the, the normal working folk that come and go um, every day and don't live downtown. You've got the Brother Francis shelter and the soup kitchen. There's also the state office where people get state assistance, right there on fourth avenue so in that area and then you go down to like 15th and gamble you've got cars and the liquor store is there and there was another liquor store that's now a laundromat once you get to that area you have a location where there's lots of services and and a lot of people that are that are indigent and then you also have the, the the normal working stiffs the normal working civilians coming back and forth every day so once you get that mix, and then there's also lower income housing. Uh, once you get that mix, um, then and where that merges, that's when you you get more action. As far as like, uh, it makes it more interesting because you're dealing with lots of different calls, as opposed to like the south side of town. Uh, there's there's various places in the south side of town where you've got you know more well to do people and less street level crime.
0: What about the east side, like Muldoon area? Um. So if I was to
1: talk about the busiest areas, um, the way Anchorage is, is split, it's split into to north and south. So you've got sectors north and sectors south. And without getting too much into the detail about that, you can use kind of Trudor Road as the boundary or 15th. Anyway, Mountain View and Muldoon are busy. Fairview is busy as well. Um, those are the busiest areas on the north side. On the south side, it would be Spinard.
0: And is there any, any crimes specifically that happen in those areas? Or is it kind of all crimes happening everywhere all the time?
1: Well, there, there's a sprinkling of crimes in all those areas. When when you're talking about Muldoon, um, Muldoon always seemed to have more domestic violence calls are happening in Muldoon. Once you get around the house, hospitals, obviously— you know, I'm talking about Providence and A.M.C. You de- have to deal with assaults and people that have come to the hospital, and those oftentimes require a lot of paper. Uh, the fact is, the area around the hospital was often affectionately dubbed the "hospital bitch" because you're kind of like trapped at the hospital area taking those calls, which typically re- require a lot of paper. And those are the A.M.C. Providence, um, even Alaska Regional, somewhat, but A.M.C. And, and Providence more so. I don't know. It seemed like everybody was getting shot, and then going to going to Providence. Um, but ARH, with its proximity to Mountain View, people would do that as well. Um, you'll have your fair share of, of DVs in Mountain View, also thefts, um, assaults, and shootings. Primarily, you'll see Mountain View and Fairview as far as, as far as uh, shootings and, and things of that nature. Spinard is where, um, and I spent a lot of time in Spinard when I was a detective in Vice. Uh, you have a lot of street-level prostitution and drugs and vice, and also you have like some homeless people come from downtown. But most most of the time downtown, especially surrounding Brother Francis, you have a lot of assaults and things like that with the homeless population. Uh, there's a whole unit dedicated to to just dealing with the homeless and assaults that happen that are kind of like off the beaten path. I mean, they're the people that everyone sees, but uh, there are a lot of homeless people living in the woods, you know, and um, they assault each other, and and there, there's rapes and things like that that happen, and and a lot of that goes unseen and, and unreported.
0: And so, those homeless camps that you just brought up are those are those a big problem? They have the whole twenty years that I worked in APD;
1: those have been a big problem. In what way? Um, there are a lot of crimes that occur. There. Um, There's a lot of alcohol. Um, So you have the medical issues with people. I mean, being homeless is not a life where, you know, you're getting the best medical attention or or worrying about what you're eating and and you're drinking to excess. There's a lot of people that are uh, mentally ill in these camps, and they're preying on each other. And oftentimes uh, it's a situation where, as the police you know, we want to do what we can to help people, but there's also a culture of, of inclusion and not cooperating with the police. So, and also there's danger to get to those places. You know, you're kind of like in their domain, you know, um, there's there's numbers, there's there's weapons, there's people that are mentally ill, and you've kind of had the challenge of of going into these places and get enough information so that you can put people in jail and and make a difference and help victims, and you really can't because, um, well, I'm not going to say you can't. I'm going to say it's very difficult because of the fact that you have that remoteness, you know, you're dealing with the elements um, because, you know, they're out there. It's a 365 game for them. It's not a situation where, okay, I'm going to be homeless in the the summer when it's nice, and then during the winter I'm going to, you know, come back inside. I mean, people are out there. Like, right now, there's snow, it's a breakup, it's money. People are out there right now. I could bring you to homeless camps right now that I know. Um, the CAP team, which is the team that was kind of tasked with removing all those camps, you know, um, and they they were fighting a battle because it was a situation where lots of different people got involved. I'm not sure if the ACLU got involved, but it was like, you know, you can't take people's stuff. You have to give them a warning, you know, like, you got to leave it 10 days. I mean, there's all kinds of different hurdles, That uh, made it difficult for, I mean, because, of course, the general public is like, hey, just get rid of them, you know? Well, easier said than done. We can't just get rid of the homeless camp because, you know, people have rights as far as their property. And then there's the fact that all of these places that cater to them are down there, right? You have, like, the soup kitchen. You have Brother Francis. You have Beans Cafe. You you can't kind of put the homeless population so far that they can't take advantage of these. Entities in the community that are trying to help them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a sticky situation, I think, because like you said, you know, those people need to be around those resources. Mm-hmm. So you had brought this up a little earlier. You had been talking about the, the type of crimes that exist in certain areas of, of Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Are there any cases you still think about?
1: Hmm. Cases that I still think about. Um... So, as opposed to, to individual cases, um, I think I want to take a moment to talk about things that, um, that that maybe a lot of people don't know about. So, during my time in the Anchorage Police Department, working as a detective, I worked in robbery assault, I went to vice, and then I went to narcotics, and, and then I went to burglary before... Going to warrants, so when I first came to robbery assault, um, it was from patrol. I went from patrol to you know I did backgrounds and I actually um, hired people and brought them into the police department, and then I went to to robbery assault. And being a detective is a, is is a lot different than 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 being on patrol. You can kind of see. I mean, as a patrol officer, patrol officers see things that that people are not privy to, right? Um, it's, you know, boots on the ground street level. Um, once you get to detectives, you get to go more in depth in, in different areas and kind of see what people's motivations are as a patrol officer. Um, people don't bring you the Intel to, to kind of let you know what the rest of the story is. <clears throat> when I was a detective in, 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 robbery assault, I remember when the first coming up here. There was the big argument in Anchorage was, is there a gang problem? Is there not a gang problem? And when was this? Um, when I first came up here? Yeah. This was like a 93, 94. You know, that argument was going on at that point. When I was in robbery assault, that was 2002 is when I became a detective in robbery assault. And that, for the first couple of years, well, pff, pretty much all my time in robbery assault until I went to Vice, in 2006. So so for four years, I was chasing gangs. I know at one point they had a gang unit. They kind of disbanded it. Um, this was before I got into the ranks of detectives. Actually, I think it was before I got on APD. And so you, you got to know who the various factions were, the difference between gangs in Anchorage and gangs in other places. And it's something that makes the Anchorage gangs more dangerous. In other places, gangs are about there's a hierarchy, there's a structure, there's tradition, there's there's shot callers or OGs that will be like, hey, let's not do this. We're going to bring attention to ourselves. They're also a little bit easier for, for the police to, to categorize because they're often built on different cultures or different races, being in, in a specific gang or even different locations as far as as far as where they live. And that's somewhat true. You have like, you know, gangs in Mountain View that are in Mountain View and Fairview, you know, claims Fairview. But oftentimes here you have kids that will go out to low 48 and, you know, hang out with some Bloods or some Crips down there and come back and be like, hey, this is what I am, you know, and then they'll they'll make a little setup here. Um, They don't have the permission of the people outside. They don't have the backing. They don't have the oversight <laughs> really <laughs> like it's funny to, to their wild cards yeah it's funny to use that word when we talk when we're speaking about gangs but they don't have the oversight and they could get pissed off and, and just start shooting um a lot of the, the 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 shootings that i dealt with in the early 2000s it wasn't really necessarily because of territory or 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 drugs or i mean a fair share there were drugs involved but a lot of them had to do with girls like these are like you know, back when I was growing up, it'd be someone would get into a fist fight over a girl, you know, whereas in Anchorage, well, these guys are in gangs, and so they're gonna get into shootouts over girls and well, the other person they have their guys that are their friends that are also claiming gangs, and so they'll shoot back so um back then, you had people like um soldier crew, sons of samoa, um hamo tribe, um iceberg click those were the the guys that that we were chasing around trying to make cases on. And I what I quickly discovered, and as a as a black detective, okay, people would be like, hey, you know, come here. They take me to the side. This is what happened, but I'll never testify. You know, because hey, you're black, I'll tell you, like, this is what happened, but I'm not gonna pick the person out of the lineup and I'm not gonna testify. And it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, yeah, there's the, the no snitching thing that is in the streets, but, I mean, it was a situation where lots of times people are afraid. I mean, the people that were involved. And this is stuff that Joe Public is clueless about that all this stuff was going on. And we talked before a little bit, before the podcast, about, like, danger. Is it, is it more dangerous or less dangerous? Um, at that time, for, for the, the general public, I mean, because they're letting bullets fly. But the only people that were really getting touched was... Um, the people that were involved in, in the gang, you know, so you can look at like per capita is things are things dangerous or are things not. Well, I mean, it depends on what neighborhood you lived in and it depends on what time of night you're out, you know, so that was, you know, we, we had a hard time. Um, we tried to 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 get a lot of those guys and put them in jail. But, you know, we came to that problem where hey, people won't testify to what they're doing because they're afraid I moved over to Vice, and Vice, for people who don't know, um, that dealt with uh, street-level prostitution, street-level drugs, and gambling. We were quickly told that we could not do gambling after um, we did our first big um, gambling bust. The FBI was involved. There was some kind of prominent Anchorage businessmen that were involved, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we quickly earned the wrath of people that were like, "Why is APD doing doing this? There are people shooting, and I just want to play poker, and you're 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 busting up our game." So uh, that was, I mean, but it was fun, right? So um, gambling was demoted as far as <laughs> as far as we're not going to pay attention to gambling. We're just going to pay attention to to street level prostitution and and street level drugs. But. The thing about that is, I talked about the progression between, you know, from robbery assault to Vice to to Metro. Um, the thing about it is... Your jobs. All those, right, all those kids that, that were shooting up Anchorage that we were trying to get when I was in robbery assault that we couldn't get, federal task forces involved with, you know, APD detectives and cops and feds made cases on all those guys, you know? And so in the drug world, it's like, wow, okay, we can actively go out and proactively hunt people and put them in jail where through the conventional means there's robbery assault kind of being reactive. Like, okay, somebody gets shot, you know, we come out of our bed in the middle of the night and and talk to people. Uh, we weren't getting anywhere with that. But those same guys that were doing all that shooting, they're doing federal time for, for the drug stuff. You know, some of them were getting out. But, um, yeah, so it was like, Wow, it was a whole different world. And also in vice, I was involved with uh, Jerry Starr, um, Donald Webster, was a uh notorious, notorious pimp who um uh trafficked in young girls, underage girls. And uh, you know, props to uh all my vice boys. Um you guys know who you are, um Angry and Wheezy and and the Deacon and Big Country. Anyway, um so that that was a situation where It was a long case. It took over a year. And the way to get into a pimp—now, this was a pimp that we put him in jail. He's in jail for over 40 years, you know? I mean, but he did so much. I mean, it was pervasive. When I first came to Anchorage in, like, in the early 2000s, if you get—remember back in the days they used to have phone books? I know they don't now, right, because of the internet, (laughs) but— I remember phone books. (laughs) In phone books, if you you pulled out a phone book, you know, he would have his escort services in the yellow pages— and with military discount and all that, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and and have, like, a little star. Because, of course, there was, like, you know, millions of different services to kind of give you the illusion that, like, oh, there's different ones to choose from. But if there was a little star next to it, that would be, you know, oh, that's a Jerry, that's a Donna Webster thing, you know. And um that case is funny because you talk about, like, you know, if there's a case that sticks out in my mind. This was a case where in order to develop the case— you know, we would have to arrest street girls and kind of, like, you know, work them backwards to, to, to get to the pimp. And um, when we made that arrest, there was a briefcase. He had a briefcase. And in the briefcase was a fetus from his bottom bitch. Like, so, like, in the prostitution world, your bottom bitch is, like, your girl that's, like, you know, your your best girl. But, like, she gets her ass whipped the most, too. Um, and, But she's the girl that, you know, takes care of the other girls, you know— Keeps him in line, kind of like the—what's the, the, what's the word? I'm not going to say mama-san, because mama-san is like a pimp in their, in their own self. Because we did, we did massage parlor cases also. But so basically, he had given her an abortion, and the fetus was—I mean, obviously, she needs some medical attention. But, you know, the fetus was in his,
0: his briefcase. He gave an abortion to her? Correct. Himself?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean— you know, I don't know the details of, you know, exactly what happened, but, you know, that's—the the fetus in the briefcase is something that
0: that, uh, that I won't forget. And he was using the briefcase as, as transportation, the, or—
1: He, he just—he had it with him when—he had it with him when we arrested him. He was in a vehicle.
0: Jeez, that's horrifying. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like
1: that that happens that the the regular person won't know, you know? I mean— that's not something that i mean unless you're in the courtroom when when that case was being tried um you you're not going to know about about things like that um the the whole the whole prostitution world i remember people that were were in civilian employees i never heard a cop say this but civilian employees at apd were like why are you wasting time with these prostitutes they're they're consenting adults you know um what a lot of people don't realize is that everybody that's involved in prostitution, you know, human trafficking, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out here and say 95% of the girls, their journey into prostitution started with sexual assault. So um, they were all sexually assaulted either by a family member or somebody close to them. And that's what led them down their path, that path. The girls that, that we dealt with, the local girls, all of them were on drugs. People don't realize the way drugs work, you can make a lot of money selling drugs up here because, you know, supply and demand, right? I mean, it takes longer to get here. Um, a dab of heroin, you know, like a, like a nifty, I mean, this is like a a $5 amount of heroin in the low 48, up here $50, you know, Jeez. I mean, just because of the transportation. And so um, we also, as part of that job, we also responded to heroin overdoses, so... Uh, me and me and another detective, uh, Lenny Torres, we would go to the hospitals whenever there was an overdose involving heroin to try to kind of get a handle on things.
0: You know, you talk about the stuff that the general public doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Do you think that it would be beneficial or detrimental to the public's perception of their own city if they were given all the details or do you think that they should be given less
1: so that's a very interesting question because um, obviously for, for, for things to work in the um, the way our legal system is set up, especially in the cases that I'm talking about. So uh, with, with drugs and prostitution, and, and drugs run a lot of the violence, I'm just going to say. Um, we've talked about drugs. We've talked about prostitution. We've talked about gangs. Drugs run a lot of the violence and and the way to combat that. The, the the traditional way to combat that is—and um, this is—wow, this is a good segue into in, in Metro, because even though we were doing it in Vice, the way you build a drug case is you get a confidential informant that's willing to to work off something that—to uh, uh, to get consideration for a crime that they've done. They don't want to go to jail, so A. Um, Less time. I, right. I can I can buy— heroin from this person or back in the days it was crack do people even smoke crack anymore i don't know like i
0: have no uh, idea I mean,
1: <laughs> it's not as popular i mean everybody's either doing like you know clear or brown right clear is meth and and, and, and brown is heroin and i actually have bought crack before when i was working on the cover. but now everything is either heroin or 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 meth up here
0: and just to clarify, uh, by up here, do you mean Alaska? Alaska. Oh, it's Alaska. Alaska. Okay. Alaska.
1: Right, Alaska. I'm I'm speaking about Alaska and, and the things that APD deals with, right? So the way you make the drug cases, you get this confidential informant, you get them to agree to buy drugs, and you have to get what's a glass warrant, right? Which is, you know, you get permission. Even Even the cops, they don't have permission to just record what's going on, right? So... You, you've got to get permission to record what's going on. Um, typically, you'll have like a, an officer with them that's acting as an undercover. In the best case scenario, which happened a couple of times in my cases, that CI introduces the cop to the, the guy that's selling the drugs, and you do a hand, hand directly with the, the, the person that's the drug dealer. And so you do that a couple of times, and then you have enough to make the case on the drug dealer. Typically, um, there, there's things that have to go into it to make sure that um, you have, like, chain of custody on the drugs and the money. Typically, the money's marked, right? So when you make the arrest, you know— What do you mean marked? By marked, I mean—I um, guess that's, like, the a colloquial way to say we uh, record the serial numbers on the money so that when we, when we arrest the person, we can find the money on them to, to prove that, like, hey, this is the money that we had— before we did the deal, and they had that money on them. Okay, so, so this is
0: this is you guys as the, the police bringing the money in, doing the, the hand-to-hand. Right. Okay. And then when we arrest the drug dealer, you know, hey, we've got the drugs, they test positive,
1: he's got the money, so on and so forth, and then...
0: So there's no reasonable doubt. It's ex- like this exactly. is... Exactly,
1: you're, like you're dead-ass caught, right? Yeah. You know, like we have drugs that test positive for drugs, you know, and I'm going to get a search warrant and go to your house and all that stuff. Um, One of my goals was I was trying to take people's houses. I mean, and that's when we get to Metro. So, that was what we did in Vice when we got to Metro. It's like, you know, bigger fish. You're dealing with the, the, the the bigger fish, um, the bigger dealers. Um, Someone said to me before, and I really believe this, if you're working drugs and you're not arresting people that are speaking Spanish, you ain't doing shit. And that's not, I don't want to slam my, my Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters, but like, where do these drugs come from? Think about where these drugs come from, right? Canada. <laughs> right. They speak. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Bonbons. They speaking French. Bonjour. Right. No. Um. They're in South America. They're in Mexico. Right. And so the people that are running this stuff, they're they're people from from those countries. Okay. So I mean, in Anchorage. The, the drug unit that I was in was disbanded. It's a, it was a controversial thing. Um, lawsuits happened. The city got sued. The city lost. I'm not going to get into the details of that. But what it's argued is being done now is you pick, they're picking leaves, right? It's like you see a tree. Like you, if you pick a leaf, you know, there's going to be another leaf. The tree's going to keep on growing, right? You know You've got to get to the roots of the tree. So you've got to work cases that, I mean, you have to deal with uh, the, the drug problem is a really difficult problem. You know what I mean? So I talk about the danger uh, and the, and the violence caused by the drugs that is, are being brought in from these Spanish speaking countries. But even weed, I know weed is legal now, right? I mean, I got to the point where like I I made cases when I was working drugs where you know on a patrol level as well, um, you'd have people with you know a hundred plants. You know, I mean. We had this grow underneath the per- this person's house where we had to, I mean, false floor and, you know, you dig in and, and there's all these plants like, you know, and you get them to admit that they're actually selling them. Wow. So this is a felony, you know, um, nothing was done. You know, I mean, the court has turned a blind eye. I mean, of course, you know, you could have remember before it was legal, right? You could have it. You couldn't sell or buy it, but, like, if the weed fairy came to your house, then, oh, yeah, you have it, right? You know? Um, No. Uh, It was a situation where, you know, I didn't want anything to do with it as far as cases because I knew it would be a lot of hard work and it wouldn't go anywhere. A lot of paperwork. Right. Paperwork, like I was talking about before. That being said, there's been homicides over weed, right? Because, okay, so why why don't people just go to, to Fourth Avenue and, and get weed from that store, or there's lots of different dispensaries legal, right? Legal dispensaries all over the place. Why don't people just go there? The people are still buying the weed, their weed from the guy on the corner that sold it before weed became legal because guess what? He's charging less than those places. You know, there's still a gray market for weed, right? And when people know that that guy ha- has money, you know, uh, he's going to get robbed. He's going to be a target. <laughs> He's going to be a target, right? You know, home invasion robbery is going to be, you know, because of, hey, that guy that sells the weed, he has the money.
0: How has policing in Anchorage changed over the last 20 years? There's been a lot of different uh,
1: advances in technology. Um, you know, obviously, um, when I started policing, there was no computers. And, and now... And what, um, what
0: year was that that you started policing? 97.
1: 97, okay. Yeah, from 97 to 2017. The way technology has evolved, police have a lot more um, technology at their fingertips than they had before. So I think that's a really good thing as far as being able to get information really rapidly. Really, and this is going to be stupid, Facebook and and Instagram and Snapchat are really great because people talk about the stuff that they do, you know. And and it's really helpful in as far as developing intelligence, you know. Officers can just look at people's Snapchat. And um, there was a a case where, um, oh, wow. Um, So just down the street at uh, 15th and E, a guy committed a homicide. And um, I was working in warrants at the time. And um, so as a negotiator, they called me up. They're like, hey, Swat's in the woods looking for this guy. Can you uh, get on the phone and, and, and talk to him to try to get him to turn himself in? So like I always do, I go on Facebook to see if, there's some type of intel, like, you know, maybe, like, okay, I'll see something on his page that he likes, something he cares about, so that you can develop a hook to create a rapport with him. Um, when I go on his Facebook, his Facebook Live from, like, 20 minutes prior is him him admit, basically admitting that he did the murder and he was going to go away for a long time, but that he wasn't a bad guy. And you could tell it was dark. Like, he was going through value. So it happened at, like, 15th and E., and you could tell he was running through Valley of the Moon Park while he's giving this narration on a Facebook Live, you know. 20 years ago, like, the homicide detectives would have to do that shit the old-fashioned way. They wouldn't have a person giving <laughs> a confession to it. I mean, and don't, don't get me wrong, there's still stuff that they had to do um, as far as—there's th- still work that they had to do, but that makes it a lot easier when you have somebody on Facebook <laughs> giving a confession to, to the stuff that they did.
0: You know, in your experience— why would somebody do
1: that? Why do people put anything on Facebook? I mean, people put their life story on Facebook. I think maybe they want to feel important. Uh, you know, uh, people just let, they they want to, they want to, hey, look at me. And, you know, it's kind of like a millennial thing, you know, um, look at me, look what I'm doing, you know, or, oh, like I got into an argument with my boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, you know. Um,
0: like this dude did it for clout or something. It was an argument over drugs,
1: you know? It was an argument over drugs. But as far as um, the, the, Facebook the, the Facebook Live, Live video. The Facebook Live, yeah, I'm sure he felt empowered maybe, you know, but... Because um, he basically just snitched on himself. Exactly. Um, we don't catch the smart ones, <laughs> you know, um, which, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, that someone had to lose their life, but uh, it was good that he
0: kind of uh, foobarred himself into jail with that uh, Facebook Live uh so perspective has a tendency to shape a person's understanding of reality. Is there something you wish people knew about the reality of crime in Anchorage to help them better understand it? Hmm. You're talking about the perceptions. Um,
1: it's interesting because I grew up in New York City. And um, when you look at the per capita statistics, Anchorage is more dangerous, you know, because your chance if you look at just the raw numbers— your, your chances of, of being involved in a crime are, are a lot higher here, especially when it comes to sexual assault and things like that, which we lead in. Um, but I guess what I would want people to know is let's talk person crimes. And by person crimes, I mean assaults, rapes, uh, robberies. Um, people think of robbery as their house getting robbed. Robbery is like when someone takes something from you by force. Burglary is like your house being being burglarize when Someone breaks on your house and takes something from it. So the person crimes, right? Um, murder, obviously, rape, robbery, uh, and assaults. People can protect themselves by not being in areas where that stuff occurs. And know that the news and the media, they're trying to sell papers. So, you know, they're going to make things sound as, as onerous as possible so that they can generate excitement and a buzz so that the people that are paying them to put commercials on, they're, 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 the screen will keep on paying them. But know that if, if you're not hanging out in places that, where these things occur, um, if you're not uh, you know drinking and, and being in areas where there are, there are other criminals, the chances of that stuff happening is I mean they're, they're going to be a lot lower. If you're you know just trying to live your best life, and I think that people worry about that. Now, if you notice I made I made a qualification with that. I talked about the person crimes, meaning like homicides, rapes, robberies, things of that nature. and, and that stuff could still happen, you know, within families. A lot of the sexual assaults that happen are within families. a lot of the homicides, if they're not like the gang related ones we were talking about earlier, they're typically the ones where they're within families or people that they knew. On the other side, you have the property crimes, you know, SB 91. First of all, the politicians that voted for that shit are not your friends, right? SB 91 is a system based on a, a, a bill that was passed in San Francisco. And, oh, we're going to save all this money, right? In San Francisco, you have criminals that will come across the border to commit property crimes because they know they're not going to go to jail. Um, when I was in warrants, this was right before SB 91 came into effect, you would hear and criminals are, you know, there's lawyers and then criminals are right under them. And in some instances, right over them as far as how well they know the law. Mm -hmm. Um, And and when I worked in warrants, we had to work in jail one day a week in in jail court. And so you could hear uh, criminals talking to their lawyers and criminals would tell their lawyers, their defense attorneys, hey, um, I want you to continue it. Continue this case, you know. I'll waive time. We need a continuance because when SB ninety one comes into effect, I'll get out. You know. Whereas is is if we if we we take this deal, we try it now. I'll get jail time, and that's exactly how how stuff worked. You know.
0: You know. I know that that SB ninety one is is very complicated. What is the relationship like? What is what is your relationship as an officer? Uh, and a detective, what is your relationship with SB 91? What SB
1: 91 did was it changed. It really handcuffed officers. I mean, because obviously people do bad things and we want to put them in jail. Right. And, and that's what the public wants in the thought that, OK, crime is going to going to diminish if the people that are doing the crimes are in jail. Um, they made some things that were, were felonies, not felonies. They made some things where we would put this person in jail where now we're just gonna give them a summons to go to court. That's the that's the gist of, you know, getting away from all the complexity of it. That that really was the gist of it.
0: I've heard a lot of things about SP ninety one. I, I mm-hmm. definitely need to Talk yeah. to an
1: attorney. Talk to an attorney, yeah. That's, you should have an attorney on the on the podcast. Yeah. I, you know, as a cop, it's like, okay, you can't arrest that guy, okay, you know?
0: Yeah, um. <laughs> so you're really stuck between a rock and, and a hard
1: place. And that was towards the end of my career. I mean, I, re- I retired in 2017, so I'm like, okay, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is.
0: Yeah, so there are a relatively small amount of careers out there where you tend to encounter people on the worst day of their life. I think it's safe to say that, Law enforcement is one of those careers. Did you learn anything about people after consistently seeing them at their worst?
1: Yeah, and this is, uh, this is gonna sound, um... So, um, I think people, people universally, and this is gonna sound really Gandhi-ish and Kumbaya, whatever, but, like, uh, I think people, people universally are good and they want the same things, you know? And, uh... Part of, uh, part of why I became a, uh, a negotiator was because I always um, strive to have a, uh, a connection with people. And as a negotiator, I talk to a lot of people on the worst days of their life. One of the negotiations I'll remember is, um, I'll never forget it. There was a guy sitting on the roof of the JCPenney's uh, parking garage with his legs hanging over, and he was kind of pushing up with his arms, and he was going to go. And he wouldn't talk to me, so... Were you up there with him? um, Yeah, I was up there with him um, because, of course, I got there first. And um, he um, was upset because I think he had, like, a sexual assault history and OCS wouldn't let his kids be with him. And um, his his girlfriend was up there as well. And, um, you know, she's crying. He is, in my mind, he's ready to jump. One of the things that people don't realize is that whenever you're in a situation like that, you know, you're in crisis as well. And that's something that, that, that cops don't do. They don't give themselves permission to be human. A lot of them, you know, I mean, it's gotten better, but there's more cop deaths by suicide than by people shooting them. And, and that's something, you know, police as well as the military, you know, the culture needs to change. You know, I want to get a soapbox on it, but I don't want to get on a soapbox about it, but, that's something that has to change. There were people in the um in Town Square, because you could you could see him on the edge from Town Square that are yelling at him to jump, you know. So I've gotta get people, you know, I'm on the radio getting people to move back and and a hey, shut those people up, you know. And so obviously this guy's at the worst day of his life, you know. Um and uh, you know, Ultimately, I was able to talk him off the roof, and uh, you know it was because he wanted what he wanted, but didn't know how to get it. You know, didn't develop the tools. A lot of people don't develop the tools to get what they want. Um, another situation where it was a a medical call where um, you know um, the person wasn't breathing. Uh, you know, it was by a new guy those apartments over there, and um, the it's husband and wife. The wife isn't breathing. A medics got there really quick. They put what's called the geezer squeezer, you know, which is basically a device that does CPR, and she was gone. And so he was devastated. And the medics leave, of course, so it's just me and him. And I'm supposed to, you know, I'm like, I have to comfort this guy. That's, that's, I had no words, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, they've been married for like, you know, 30 years or something like that. And I had no words, you know, for him, you know? Um, And and I said some stuff, but, you know, how does she's in a better place sound? Like, you know what I mean? Like you can't, (laughs) you know, I mean, you know, I I just sat with him and processed it, like, but, you know, knowing that in, in lots of things, you're band aid there like you know what I mean? I mean, people have gaping wounds because of loss, and you're just a band aid at that point, you know I mean you're not going to solve any problems you're not really gonna gonna help them. i mean I work on behavioral health now, so I mean obviously this is something that is important to me I'm helping people in that realm, but you're not you know all, all you can do is is be there with them, so at the end of the day, you know people are human. They they want the same things. They want happiness. And, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time here, so you have to make it, you have to live it. You know, you have to live every day, you know, to its fullest. Yeah. You know, I tell my kids, go out and conquer. Every <laughs> everybody, day? Everybody doesn't want to conquer. Like, you know, you have to conquer. Every day you have to conquer. Yeah. You know, because you don't know how many days you have left. You know, so, I mean, and I think that's because, you know, me and wifey this is what we do you know and so we see people you know um she's a detective as well is she still a detective she's still a detective here. okay and so so we see we see this we see people at our worst so it's like you want to see the other side you want to see people um not limiting themselves not just being spectators in life but actually Going for, go going forth and conquering you know doing more, yeah, you know whatever it is that makes their heart beats fast that doesn't hurt other people, do that, you know, be that, and so um I think that's the perspective I got from seeing so many people on the worst days of their lives
0: That's great you know you you mentioned the effect or the toll that takes on the officer or the person in in um law enforcement. What can you tell me about the men and women who protect this city?
1: Um, the men and women that protect Anchorage are awesome. That's that's what I want to say first. And what I mean by that is law enforcement is a difficult job. It's not one that I would choose for my kids. I mean, obviously, if any of them wanted to do it, I'd have their back, but I would try to convince them to do other things. It's a job where you get compensated financially, but everybody that you see out there in a uniform, they could probably make more money doing other things (laughs) and and do a job that is less stressful. But it's a profession that you really don't choose. It chooses you, you know? And so all of them are really choosing to to put their lives in danger to protect other people. And in this day and age... um, they're kind of uh, reviled for it at times, you know. I think it's gotten worse, way worse, since when I started, as far as like the 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 public dissatisfaction with police, and which is a shame, you know. Anchorage is better than other places. There, there, you know, there's there's a fair share of people that are that are pro cop, but you know, there's a there's a vast majority that aren't, and I think that with the proliferation of like, um, you know, dash cam footage. And other things, um, and the um, body cam footage that that's showing, you know, police malfeasance in other states. People let that affect here. You know, I remember there was a uh, Black Lives Matter movement. They 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 had a uh, a rally up here. The chief kind of got in front of it. The chief at the time, um, Chief Tali, he got in front of it. He went out and met with the uh, the local leader of the movement. Like you went to her Facebook. Like her profile pic was her and the chief. You know. There's really a willingness to be transparent and sit down and, you know, really talk about the issues that were, you know, on people's minds, you know. Yeah, I think that, you know, across the country, yeah, sure, there are cops that are doing things that they're not supposed to do. And you can hope that they get dealt with as far as, like, you know, um, court cases, jail time if necessary, losing their jobs. But I think that the public lets that color their perception of Anchorage cops, and it's like, OK, I get it. Like, you know, if you had an issue where an Anchorage cop did something that he wasn't supposed to do, yeah, by all means, you know, report him to who he needs to be reported to. But by and large, like, you know, this department and I'm from New York City, so I go back east a lot. You've got a, a good department here with a lot, lot less corruption than in other places. And like I said, the the people that, that wear the uniform here, um, they're awesome because they're doing a job where— as hard as it is to get on the, as hard as it is to get on, because I worked in backgrounds, so I know the hurdles you have to jump through. And there's many officers from other states that try to be cops up here, because they were already cops there, couldn't cut the mustard. You know? When I was working in backgrounds, out of every thousand people that try to become a member of APD, one person got through. Really? Yeah. So I mean, the the people you see around here wearing uniforms and wearing a badge for A P D, they're quality people and it took them a lot to get where they are. And like I said, pretty much all of them could be making more money if they were doing something different.
0: That's great. I I think that's, uh that wraps it up. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Unless there's something else that you wanted to say, uh, I guess in closing, uh, we, we talked a little bit about
1: the, about the crime people see the crime that people don't see. And you know, there's that, that saying that it takes a village. Like there was a, a big, um, part of my career where I speak about when I was in robbery assault where people knew what was going on but that they they wouldn't cooperate with the police. Um, in closing, I would say that, you know, 10% of the crime that happens is where the police get, get involved, right? Because, you know, there's 90% of the stuff that doesn't even get seen. What I think people could do to help make the, I mean, take pride in your neighborhoods and make them a safer place by being vigilant and, not, not, not um, condoning it. You know, that's the way to help the police. You know, I'm not telling people to go out and be vigilantes and police themselves. But, you know, hey, you can make those anonymous calls. Make it to where people that deal drugs are more revered than the person that just got their college degree. Promoting positive things and maybe not giving so much props to negative things. And I'm saying it just like that because that's what people do. They give props to to negative things. Oh, wow, Cool. You know, check out these sneakers. Check, you know, how'd you get them? You know, hey, I was scrambling. No, that's not, that's, that shouldn't be acceptable. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that if uh, people all over did their best to make their neighborhood safe and make them great, um, then uh, that, that, that. you asked me a question that will lead to a whole other show because, you know, it's all about responsibility and, you know, um, men taking care of their families. Um, there's a bunch of stuff, but... I guess I'll say that for
0: (laughs) the next time you have me on here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That sounds good. Well, thanks, Aaron. I really appreciate it, man. This has been great. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Lost Anchorage is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music is by Michelle McLaughlin. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Thank you to Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, David North, Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Shane Robinson, and Sharon Liska for supporting this podcast at the company man level.